Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here with this week's co-host, Benji Davis. How's it going, Benji? Going great. Doing well. Excellent. Nothing to complain about. Well, that's good. Uh, Today's topic is going to be... uh, Zionism on campus, and in particular, we're meeting with the founders of the Remo movement. Benji, would you introduce them, please? Ooh, quite a responsibility to introduce them. Okay, so we're here with Jordana Schiff and Ellie Kudron, who I've actually spoken to via virtual platforms like Zoom a gazillion times, but have never met in the flesh. Uh, and we were able to meet because of the current situation we have with, with Corona, and they've established a new student-led movement um, called Ramon. And why I was able to connect with them is because they are both alumni of the course that Michael and I teach in various gap years. So Jordana is from uh, went to MTVA and Ellie at Oraita. And we had reached out to our alumni about doing virtual Israel education and if they want to help us out with some ideas that we had. Um, and... Two of the alumni that reached out to us were Jordana and Ellie, and through lots of different conversations about, well, what can we do in the corona era with during during this troubling time? How can st- Israel education still be relevant, and can we actually make a difference and a change, perhaps, for Israel education on campus was something that they were both really interested in doing, and we were really happy to kind of just jump along for the ride. And so they're both the leaders of this new movement called Ramon, which Michael and I have had a pleasure to be a little bit a part of. And so we thought, well, they should totally A, be on the pod, and B, uh, they're experts on Zionism, Israel education, anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism on campus. And then they could share a little bit about their experiences, what's going on, and maybe that's why they led them to start Ramon in the first place and talk about that. So really, the, the floor is theirs to to be able to, to share that. So that's all right. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks a lot for coming guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hi, Jordana, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So excited. <laughs> sure. Our pleasure. Ellie, how you doing? Good, good. And you, thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. So Benji gave a pretty, that's a pretty thorough introduction, but can you give like a little more specifics about what Ramon does, like what the Ramon movement is and does? I think Benji gave some good background for the listeners, but what exactly is it? Who, who wants to explain that? And All right, so pointing uh, at each other. they're pointing at each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'll go. So yeah, Ramon was uh, started almost a year ago now, and as uh, Benji said it very well, we all kind of met on Zoom a few times, and that's how Andrew, it started. Don't, please don't hit pause. Uh, don't hit mute. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, yeah, so... Sorry, it's funny because Jordan and I started this huge movement, but we've never met in person. It's, and now it's been a year. We're in the same country and still haven't managed to uh, meet in person. But what is Rimon? Rimon is a international now uh, student-led movement mm-hmm. that wants to reimagine Israel education. We uh, felt when we had a bunch of conversations with you, um, you three, and uh, and other people that we were talking to that what was happening now on campus is that. Everything was focused on defending Israel, Israel advocacy, what are the talking points to like uh, fight against BDS and all that stuff. And all that stuff is so important. And like people like Jordana and I, that's what we do most of our day on campus. And like we need more people to do it. But we also felt that like because of that, there were many students that 
didn't want to be at the forefront of uh, Israel advocacy on campus or didn't want to like walk around with a big Israeli flag, wanted to just learn more about Israel. And like we felt that we needed a program to connect, connect in a more honest way about Israel, to really dive into the complexity of Israel, to like really have the tough conversations that are sometimes very difficult to have on campus these days because the conversation is most of the time hijacked by uh, the other side. So we've been able to create, thanks to uh, you, Benji, and Mike, this incredible program with a very uh, empowering cur curriculum, which is all about students finally creating their own Zionist narrative, finally having their own opinions and really connecting to Israel in a way they've never done before. I don't know if Jordana wants to add anything. No, I love hearing you describe it. That's why I was pointing at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think what I'm hearing you saying is that a little bit like the step was being skipped. Everyone's worried about Jewish students on campus being activists. But what about their own internal questions about Israel and Zionism and all the issues being brought up? How do they have their own personal sense of identity and understanding? And how do they address all those questions to jump the step of they should all be activists? What do they think? What do they feel if they're not really? Is that, is that, am I getting that right from what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. bringing up is so important for students to really understand it for themselves and not just, well, you're Jewish, therefore you should love Israel, but why should you love Israel? And to internalize that before you can go out projecting it to others. So how, how does your movement uh, address that? And so I think what we do is all about empowering the students. So we give them all the tools and the knowledge to come to these conclusions on their own. Um, so we present them with multiple different perspectives, different um, historical information that they might not have known before, um, and really engaging platforms. Um, and we like to let the students come to their own definition of Zionism, and because there is not just one definition. Um, so once they can realize what it means to them, um, then that's really the key step. And then they can move forward into whatever direction they want to go with that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and your program does, like, literally, I don't think a listener would, like, what do you do? Like, how does this work? Like, what do you guys, like, what is it? You know what I mean? Like, I get the idea yeah. behind it now. You guys have been explaining is the Israeli word. Tachlis. That's Tachlis. exactly right. Tachlis. No, so, so, yeah, that, obviously, that's a very good question. Um, we have a bunch of different initiatives. Our main one, which is, like, the cornerstone of Rimon, is a, is a semester-long program that basically we create cohorts of around 15 to 20 students, very diverse cohort, like people from the left, from the right, religious, non-religious, and literally from Albania to Canada. Um, and um, Okay, that's only A through C. You don't do, you don't do any countries <laughs> past the letter C? Is that the... <laughs> and, um, okay, dad joke. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's okay. I make the same type of joke. I thought it was really good and really funny. <laughs> and, uh, Excellent. And so what we do is we meet for the entire semester every Sunday for, uh, for a certain amount of time on Zoom. And it's a mix of lectures, discussions, debates, uh, learning in little groups, uh, and we also bring expert speakers. And so the reason we do all of that is because at the end of the day, let's be honest, people are so tired of Zoom. I'm the first one to complain about Zoom because I literally mm -hmm. spend my entire day on Zoom. But... Sadly, because of the situation right now, it's our only solution. But at the same time, yeah. Zoom brings so many incredible advantages, like the fact that we can have educators live from Israel, speakers live from Israel, and at the same time have someone from, like, I don't know, from Switzerland learning with someone from Argentina. Like, 
Zoom is the only way to do that, except if we're able to fly that, uh, fly everyone somewhere. But right now we don't have the budget. If any listener is listening <laughs> and wants to sponsor a remote plane, we're all in. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, and so during during this semester, we really go into all those topics. Uh, the first, like, who am I? What's the connection of the Jewish people to Israel? What does it mean to be part of the Jewish people? Then the Israeli narrative, uh, like the Zionist narrative, the Palestinian, the Palestinian narrative. Uh, then how do the two go together? What's the way forward? We also do something that I love that most programs don't. We discuss the issues within Israeli society. So we last semester, for example, we had fascinating conversation on the status quo and, uh, for example, women of the wall and like all of that, which at the end of the day, do you really need it to fight it, like to fight for Israel on campus? No, but like that's not what we do. We just want to empower students. Right. We want students to connect to Israel. And I think the best way to do it is for students to really finally understand what's happening in Israel and not just what is Israel far, far away. Yeah. So the framing is it. Yeah, go ahead, Jordana. I was going to add on to that. And if you have a busy semester and can't fully commit to a whole cohort, we do have some other um, initiatives. We do webinars, which are less frequent. Um, so you could just tune in for an hour or so for those. Um, we have a current events newsletter that we send out. So please go on our website. You could sign up for that. And we have student blogs. And our website's going to be very active soon. So just keep following us, follow our socials for all of our exciting updates. So, So the framing standard isn't, how can I answer somebody who's representing BDS? The framing is, what's relevant to you as a Jew that connects you to Israel? What do you need to understand better? And yeah. so these programs, whether it's the, the shorter webinars or the longer semester studies, are and, and you're saying they're basically on Zoom, and that's where kids connect to educators and speakers and representatives and have conversations with real people about the real issues. Yeah, and the idea is that by doing that, students will feel much more connected and much more empowered to, like, when they're on campus and will hear something about Israel that they don't believe is correct, either we'll start having a conversation or we'll continue to do more research. And, like, we've seen already the impact that it has. Like, we've had students, like, starting new programs on campus, writing blogs. Wow. So, like, while, it's, while the goal is obviously not, like, the main goal is not Israel advocacy, we know that, like, by empowering students and really connecting them to Israel in a way that they've never connected before, they'll want to do more on their campus and make a difference, whether it is on the Israel advocacy side of it or even like within their own community, like organizing events. Like there's a student at Columbia now, he's doing this uh, kind of like one hour a week office hour of discussing current events in Israel within the Jewish oh, wow. community. Yeah. Smooth. Oh, that's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 that's why I think of it as like that missing step. I, I, I really like it. And by the way, the donor, if they want to get a plane, the Ramon airplane, I think they should also probably buy like a Ramon hotel where we could have the seminars, like week long seminars. That is. A I would recommend like, on the beach. It doesn't have to be Tel Aviv because that's probably <laughs> expensive. But if we build a hotel on like let's say Ashkelon or Ashton, I think that's nice. probably affordable. Let's do it. Yeah. Are there work. plans? Are you making the first pledge? <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's not going to get us very far. Eighteen dollar <laughs> pledge for Michael and I, right here. Um, Eighteen shekel. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> so, what about in person stuff? You talked a little bit about Zoom fatigue. Uh, Michael and I are vaccinated because you know we're in Israel, right? And so, pretty much everyone that can has gotten a vaccine here. It seems. Uh, hopefully, you uh, will be eligible soon. Um, both being in the states. Um, 
so what's, uh, you know, is there a plan for getting over the Zoom fatigue to, to connect all these amazing international students, uh, whether that would be in Israel or outside of Israel, because people are all over the place? Yeah, so I think that's definitely something that we'd love to work on. Um, what could be really awesome is to have, like, conferences or Shabbatons, um, God willing, in Israel, on a nice kibbutz or maybe on the beach. Um, but also it could be really cool is like regional ones for campuses, so more local, so we don't always have to fly as far as to Israel. Um, but as amazing as Shabbatons and conferences are, what we do love about Zoom is that we can be so international and connect mm-hmm. people from all around mm-hmm. the world. So I think even once um, the world goes back to normal, I think we're still going to utilize Zoom and use that model for education, but also move to supplement it with some in-person um, events as well. Yeah, also people, I think, will be less fatigued in general. That is true, yeah. Yeah. I, I think what's really interesting here, and I'm also part of it because I'm now leading my third cohort, so I'm a little bit in the weeds of the educational stuff, but for me, what the most interesting part of leading these cohorts is the international aspect that you don't yeah. really see. And I'm not talking like a kid from South Africa, a kid from Britain, Australia, with a bunch of Americans, which you'll see on English-speaking gap years, or maybe, you know, someone from, you know, Sweden or Switzerland that has perfect, or Netherlands is perfect English that fits in with an English-speaking program. Uh, Ellie, yourself, right, originally from Belgium. So, you know, you could fit into that really well. I'm talking about, like, a really diverse group of students, and we, a big part of the learning that we do is always sending them out into chabrutas, small groups of two or three. And usually it's a English speaker with a non-English speaker, Mm-hmm. Uh, an American with a non-North American. Uh, and that brings out much different insights because of the, the cultural context. And I'm just curious, you know, and maybe if any of the listeners are out there and, and can, you know, respond to us, are there other Israel education programs that really bring, you know, four continents together at the same time where doesn't cost you a gazillion dollars to fly them all to the same place? Um, like Ramon and to be discussing issues of Zionism, the Palestinian narrative and the conflict. That's what I think is really interesting about Ramon that I didn't really understand when we first started having these conversations and only really this semester that like, oh, wow, this is like the Ramon effect is bringing people. So that's why I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah, I'm an educator on my second round, my second round. And, uh, you know, not only Belgian and Spain, but I'm always impressed with this Israeli student. Right, good point. Right? Like, oh, you know, we just, we want to hear other sides and other perspectives. No, and I think uh, you're bringing up a good point. Like for me, for example, when I moved from Belgium, the reason why I believe that it was so important to have like an international aspect to it is because I think there's, not only there's a huge divide between diaspora Jews and like Israeli Jews, but I think there's a complete like 50 years divide between the American Jewish community yeah. uh, and maybe we can put Canadians together. I don't know enough about the Canadian Jewish community, but like, I, let's say the American Jewish community and the rest of the diaspora Jewish communities, which are much more, uh, I guess, connected to Israel, feel much more the need to protect Israel because of anti-Semitism, because of their experience. So I think even that aspect of just putting together a French Jew and an American Jew who has lived like, Jordana is the perfect example. That's what I use all the time. Like, she lived in Teaneck, New Jersey most of her life. So, like, her whole life has been in that Jewish bubble. And so, obviously, Teaneck, New Jersey is a very Zionist community. But, like, it's a good example of, like, 
For example, we had this student, Chloe, last semester, who's a student in France who's experiencing anti-Semitism on a day-to-day basis and feels the need to, like, protect Israel much more than an American Jew because she feels that any day she'll have to move to Israel. So I think that brings a very interesting aspect to it. I found that from Spain as well, this built-in defensiveness of, like, experiencing the anti-Semitism in your face so much that it creates, it's a very different, the discussions are so interesting because of that, you know. Mm -hmm. What are you guys finding? Oh, go ahead, Benji. No, I just wanted to say if, uh, about anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism a little bit on campus. Yeah. Um, within your campuses, I know Jordana's at McGill, finishing up your senior year, and Ellie, I think you're in your third of 25 years or something at Northeastern, so I know you're doing like eight degrees at once. Exactly. Uh, but you'll be, you'll be there for a while. Um, as, and I know you guys have different takes on anti-Semitism and anti-Israel stuff on campus today, especially with the time of Corona. So I'd love to just kind of hear you two get into it. Um, it's either the same or it's different. What's going on? Give us the update. Give our listeners the update. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, anti-Semitism at McGill, especially in the form of like BDS, um, is a very prominent part of my university experience, um, especially as an Islamic studies major, um, but also just like within our... Why is it that McGill, why, for years now, McGill is such a hotspot? Um, it's very liberal, I think. So we've got like a lot of social justice warriors um, and Palestine always falls into that, which I totally understand. But on the one hand, they assume that all Zionists are like anti-Palestinian and like I've been mm-hmm. called racist against Palestinian, which is like so far from the truth. Like just because I support the state of Israel doesn't mean that like, I don't know, I want to do like awful things to Palestinians. It just means I want to work to find a solution where nobody's dying. Um, but apparently that makes me racist. Um, I've been called lots of words on my campus. Um, but for the question of how it's different this year, I haven't noticed anything different um, over Zoom versus, like, in-person schools. Um, they're still trying the same things. Like, yeah, like, our meetings are now, like, over Zoom. So, I mean, maybe you feel a little safer because, like, nobody's physically in the same space as you. And, like, my campus has been known to get a little physical sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So, at least, like, that safety element is gone. But this it's the same thing. We go to the same meetings, have the same debates. Um, so I haven't seen it change so much over Corona. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like I have a lot of mixed feelings when uh, people ask me about anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism on campus. Uh, the reason is because I think, in my opinion, like there's definitely some campuses that are much more challenging. Like McGill is a perfect example of people that are just like nuts. Mm-hmm. There's no other word to like describe it. Uh, at Northeastern, yeah, there is anti-Semitism. There is anti-Zionism. Uh, there's some teachers that have been caught on tape literally telling their students to, like, be proud to be called anti-Semite. So, like, we've had our fair share of, like, crazy stories. Um, but I think, like, it's what I always say. I think these days we're just so focused on, like, BDS that we almost forget about, like, focusing on our own community. And, like, I think, like, it's it has become a problem. Like, in Northeastern, I think, in my opinion, is a perfect example, like, so many organizations reach out to me all the time because I'm, like, the president of, like, five Jewish organizations at Northeastern and, like, ask me, like, oh, how is it going with BDS? How is it going with that? How is it going with that? But, like, I wish I was asked, like, how is the Jewish community going? Like, is the Jewish community growing? Are we getting more people at Shabbat dinners? Are we getting more people to learn about Israel? And, like, we've become so focused on BDS that we almost forgot about, like, our own community, which I think, like, the best way to fight BDS is to empower our community. And so as if, like, anything changed with Zoom, I think it's 
I personally believe that a lot has changed with Zoom, and I'm very worried about this trend. I think for the past like 10 years with social media, we've gone into that trend of people being in their own box. You're going to go on social media. Like these days, if I go on Facebook, I'm only going to see stuff that is good about Israel. I'm only going to see stuff that all the Exactly. I'm only going to see stuff that like, I agree with. And I think mm-hmm. Zoom has taken it to a whole new level because now the pro-Palestinian club has their Zoom meeting in a Zoom that I cannot access. And the Israel club has their Zoom meeting in a Zoom uh, room that they cannot access. So because of that, it has completely put the two sides away from each other and completely puts them in their own bubbles. And so because of that, I think it's a big loss for both sides. I used to love going to uh, SJP events to hear what they had to say and to ask questions. And sometimes I what would is SJP like, for the listeners? Uh, Students for Justice in Palestine. It's like a pro-Palestinian club on campus. So mm-hmm. that's my little worry that like we're becoming so like in our own bubble that like when are the bubble going to pop and that it's going to go completely crazy. The other, but at the same time, there's some good advantages of uh, Zoom. I think Northeastern, we took full advantage of uh, Zoom by getting, uh, we worked for like, we've been working for the past two years to get the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism approved by student government. And it was always very tough because like we knew that like the pro-Palestinian- Can you explain what that is for listeners? Of course, the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism is the most recent and accurate and most widely accepted definition of anti-Semitism. The reason for some on the campuses it's very controversial is because it finally says that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And so it's very controversial. Not criticizing Israel, campuses, which is fine, but being anti. Exactly. Like, it states it very Israel. well that yeah. criticism yeah. of Israel is not anti-Semitism, it's, it's, but that anti-Zionism is, yeah. uh, is uh, anti-Semitism. The problem and why it's controversial on campuses is because it would make a big part of every campus be labeled as anti-Semite. So obviously no one wants to get that resolution approved. And uh, we, for example, took full advantage of Zoom because all the student government meetings were just on Zoom. It was much easier to keep it quiet, to like even have our own meetings without other people like get into our meetings. And so because of that, like the Palestinian community only found out about the vote on the, on the resolution like two days before... Uh, the actual vote. And so thanks to that, they were not organized and this and that. But the crazy fact is that even though they were not organized and only five of them showed up, we only got the resolution passed by one vote. So there's 40 uh, senators that just decided to abstain because of everything that happened during the student government meeting. And the other side has been taking advantage of that too. At UCLA, we witnessed it last week that uh, the UCLA student government just passed a whole BDS resolution calling Israel, uh, uh, saying that Israel was committing ethnic cleansing and all of that. And the Jewish community had no idea that that vote mm-hmm. was even happening. They had no clue that anything was happening about Israel's student government. And that's because of Zoom. So there's pros and cons. We just have to find a way to take advantage of it, I guess. Is it me know. that thinks it's so crazy that with all the crazy things going on in the world, that this relatively calm moment in the conflict, and that's what people are focused on. It's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, honestly. I, besides anti-Semitism, I have no idea how I can explain it to you. Like even Jordana probably can tell you so many stories about the type of classes she's taking and what she hears in her classes. Like it's pretty crazy. Because of your major, Jordana, you mean? 
Well, yes, because I'm a major in Islamic studies, but it's equally as prevalent in political science, which is just so sad because that, like, it shouldn't be a focus. But it is. <laughs> it is inexplicable other than anti-Semitism, which I hate to use as an explanation because it's so simple. Like, it just, it doesn't, it can't possibly be just that. It has to be other things also. But, but it just for, feels bizarre. Dana said it was, there was a lot of uh, social justice warriors at McGill, and so it could be rooted in that whole theory of there's oppressors and there's All right. Oppressed. There's plenty of, so, I mean, you have, why is there not Uyghur uh, uh, anti-China activism on campus, or or how about what's going on in Yemen, where where people are dying of cholera and starvation in the thousands because of the Saudi blockade? Like there are real social justice crises on Earth. Not to mention, you know, North Korea. How far? Like, that's what? what they tried to do on my campus this semester. They just put a BDS resolution in with all these other ones. So we had a resolution. It was called Human Rights um, Violations. I forgot the exact name, and it was for the Uyghurs in China, for Yemen, for all these crises. And then they threw Israel and Palestine in there, literally comparing Mm. this conflict to all of that, which was so hard to see because, like, yes, there are people suffering in the conflict, but not to the same extent and for the same reasons that we should just boycott it and divest from it like these other really serious human rights situations, which are incomparable to Israel. And just drawing those comparisons was just so disheartening for the Jewish community at McGill to have to deal with. Right, it is sneaky. I mean, you get this. Like, I get, I get the strategy. That was a good strategy. I was going to say it's actually yeah. a strategy from the BDS handbook. Um, if you Google it online, you can find wow. copies of because BDS is a really it's an organized movement. It's funded. It's international, and they have resources just like we have resources. And we actually found a page that said if you can't get BDS on your campus, which Miguel has failed to for a bunch of years, they say try like taking a step back from it and adding it to something else that students on your campus are passionate about. Mm. So because we are such a social justice campus, they put it with these big issues, and they they were almost successful. Like, it, it's been a long struggle, and we haven't fully been able to completely kill this resolution yet. So, I mean... Uh, <laughs> what I think is interesting about all this is, I mean, BDS has not really hurt Israel economically in the slightest, and most of the resolutions I understand on campus can't even compel the universities to actually divest because the student governments don't have that power. And so it seems to be much more of a fight over ideas and that, you know, you're being involved in this, the other students are involved, and it's kind of like what ideas are going to be promoted in the future when everyone leaves campuses? And do you believe Zionism is so evil that whenever you're going to go into business or academia or, I don't know, whatever leadership roles you'll take in your professional lives... That it seems to me, at least, that the fight over BDS is the, the fight over, you know, what people believe as they're going to become adults. And that could really make an impact on Israel. These people become in areas of influence or vice versa. You, Jordana and Ellie, becoming influencers uh, for the Jewish world. I think it's even more than that, honestly. Like, yes, I think those ideas um are relevant. But I think, like, when people do grow up and enter the real world, they start to realize that, like, what they heard in college wasn't so accurate. And I think people do start to grow out of that. But the direct impact you feel on campus, at least with the campus that's so prevalent with BDS, is you don't you don't feel safe as a Jewish student on campus. And they Ow. kind of hijack the narrative. So it's not just like this small BDS club and the small pro-Israel group on our campus. It's the student newspapers get involved and the student clubs hear about it. Um, and it really starts to overtake the whole campus. Um, there's also lots of studies that link 
BDS activist who like direct acts of anti-Semitism. Um, so I'm at McGill. So in Montreal, there's a local synagogue and it was just graffitied with swastikas. And the guy, they, when the security found him, he had canisters of gas or something like he's planning on lighting the whole shul on fire. And this is a guy who one year, two years ago when he was a student at Concordia was one of the leaders for BDS on his campus. So it really is directly like related to anti-Semitism and like that immediate feeling on our campus. And it goes into the clubs too. This is actually something I'm currently struggling with. Um, we have a club on McGill, Queer McGill. It's a great club for people interested, like it, whatever. Um, but they actually have this policy in their constitution, okay? It supports the BDS movement, which is so irrelevant. Like, I don't know what a queer club has to do with Israel. Um, and it's really disheartening because I have a lot of Jewish queer friends at McGill and they don't feel comfortable joining this queer club um, because it has this pro-BDS stance. So last year, they tried to bring it to, like, our student government to kind of, like, get this clause that it's not constitutional to have that in their constitution. Um, and it was kind of, like, a political nightmare, Miguel, like, our system's bureaucratic, whatever. We finally are just hearing that now it was approved that it was constitutional for clubs to have this in their constitution. Wow. Later this week, it has to be ratified by the board of directors saying, oh, you can have this in your club's constitution. So... BDS really seeps into like all aspects of student life, and it's just a nightmare. Well, that so irony to me goes to what Ellie. Was, the irony to me goes to what Ellie was saying earlier that that you know because it's not having real impact, or at least not any major impact here in Israel, it's so minor. But in the diaspora, Jewish identity is really under assault. Like kids are embarrassed. It's it's suppressing Jewish identity. It's depressing Jewish identity. And so in the end, it's undermining the future of the Jewish community there. And so real work has to be put into strengthening Jewish community. You hear, you know, if you're saying like LGBTQ kids who are, who are Jewish and love may not have a place to go if they retain that Zion as part of their Jewish identity, like they're doing real damage to diaspora Jewry, which ironically strengthens Israel in a really perverse way because, because the Jewish, Jewish identity here is fine. Like they're not doing any damage here. Yeah, no, for I, sure. I, I, That's yeah. interesting. No, for sure. And yeah, Jordana makes a very good point. Like at this point, it's not even about Israel. Like, yeah, Benji, as you said, like BDS, even when it's passed at student government, most university, I don't even know if one university actually like decided to like fully pass BDS as a university. I don't, I think maybe one at some point in the US. Do research online. I've done research online for BDS successes of actual like boycotts, divestments and sanctions. There are a few, but there's so few, and there's so yeah, many. and it's usually like very small universities that no one has mm-hmm. ever heard of. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, even if it's a few universities, I don't think Israel will be impacted in a major way. Obviously, it's something that we have to like make sure it doesn't grow yeah. bigger. But I think the and main Roger problem Waters right gets now, a few concerts canceled. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I think the really, main problem that's... right now, and that's the reason that I believe that we still need to fight BDS. Is as Jordana said, because the secu- because of security and like well-being of Jewish students on the campus, like it's it's crazy. Like the what Jordana said about the uh, queer club at uh, at our yeah. university, we've had the exact same issue here at uh, Northeastern University. Like, oh my god! Uh, Israeli queer students couldn't go to the queer club. Like technically, they weren't banned, but because the club was so focused on Palestinians yeah. and BDS, yeah. and they were like. What is the connection? Like, I want to have a club where I finally feel safe on campus, and they can't because 
the club keeps on talking about Palestinians and how they are part of this pinkwashing industry and this and that. And so because of that, today, Northeastern has a Jewish queers club on campus. Wow. So it's the real impact of intersectionality live yeah. in the flesh. Yeah, you um, also mentioned like the concerts that were like being stopped. And I think mm-hmm. that's another really aspect of the BDS movement that people forget about, like the academic and social boycotts as well. Um, two years ago on my campus, they tried, there's a course on Miguel. It's comparative politics, Canadian and Israeli. And then the Israeli students come to Miguel in the summer and the Miguel students are supposed to go to Israel to like learn at Hebrew U for a few weeks. And the BDS, they came and they tried to boycott that trip to Israel, saying, how can you have a trip to Israel when A, Arab students aren't allowed to come, which is, like, false, and we tried to tell them that, but they didn't listen, and they're like, so it's exclusionary, and, like, you're going on to, like, this colonized apartheid land, like, how can McGill endorse that? And and that is... Any 10 minutes you spend on the Hebrew University campus, you know, that's just, like, a a ridiculous (laughs) lie. Beyond. It was also really fun. Because they were just so, it was like this guy was like leading the charge, like, as the president of the Islamic Studies Department, I'm speaking with accuracy. And it's like, what, like, students are like just listening and I, it, it's hard. And they're like, you know, we have authority on this matter. Like, we're Palestinians, like, we're Arabs, like, we know what we're talking about. And then for a Jewish student to say, oh, well, like, you know, I've been there, like, that's not true. And then they're like, well, you're privileged because you've got to go to Israel. We're like, you can get on the plane, <laughs> but wait, this is what you're boycotting. You're boycotting students coming to learn. So how can you say I'm privileged for knowing this when you're boycotting students' own experience from going to see it? So it's just yeah. the BDS movement, really. It's just so ingrained in campuses in a way that's like, it's not visible to the common eye, but like, it's so prevalent. Wow. Well, it's using the tools and language of wokeism as a, as a, as a way to get at Israel, even though that's not the real motivations of the movement, which is just a purely anti-Israel. But I bet you there is some sort of, you know, uh, intersection between those that are seriously anti-Israel and anti-Semitic for those that really believe in the woke ideology and apply it to Israel. I think there's some, you know, some people that are the woke folks and some people that are the anti-Semitic folks and some people that, that you know, decide to be a, a mixture of the two. I, I definitely see it there. I mean, the whole, the queer clubs not allowing Zionists, right? I mean, I, I don't think it's specifically all anti-Semitic. I, I do think there's a, you know, huge influence of, you know, the woke ideology both yeah. saying that Israel is an oppressor, so therefore, and all oppression is connected and we can't be free until everyone is free, so therefore, oppressed queer folks can't be free unless Palestinians are free. So obviously we're not going to let an IDF vet who's also queer and identifies as such into our club. Now that's the thinking behind it. I don't no, think it's, it's Omar Barghouti is using ignorant woke people and activating their perspective to I mean, take I wouldn't advantage say of their a, ignorance. Right. That is, I think the strategy no, think, of BDS, but I don't think he's the puppeteer here. I think they're willfully taking that on, on their own volition. Yeah. Well, no, everyone's responsible a, for themselves. Yes. Yeah, no, I think you make a very good point. I always say there's three types of people in all these different clubs. Like, especially, like, an SJP club, there's usually actual Palestinians that actually, like, care about this issue. And, like, but interestingly enough, on my campus, for example, I know a lot of Palestinians. Only one of them is involved in the Students for Justice in Palestine club because, like, when you ask them about it, like, why they're not involved is because they'll agree with me that their club is nuts and actually doesn't do anything for Palestinians, which has been, like... Just perpetuating the conflict instead of improving. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like last year, the president of the 
SJP club at my school was a Palestinian. He left the club after six months. I did more research on it. They, they did more research online. The guy was like, when he was living in uh, Israel-Palestine, was doing a bunch of peace and coexistence programs. I mm -hmm. saw that he was like on a soccer team or whatever to create dialogue. And so like, nice. he, he dropped the club because like, he felt like they're the anti-peace and anti-dialogue and making it much yeah. worse. So there's three types of people. There's some Palestinians in club. There's usually a few that are like just blatantly anti-Semites and there's nothing to do about it. Like I've been told that like there's a student that told my best friend saying like, oh, when she sees me walking around campus, she has mixed feelings about Hitler, which is like completely crazy. Like <laughs> oh I think I'm a God. very nice person. Like it's just like whatever. It's like I don't. There's not even a point to discuss it. But yeah, it has, I've heard like some crazy stuff. I've been called. I don't know, Ellie, he was nice to his just job. walking around campus, even though yeah, I'm not Israeli. Like I don't, I don't, whatever. And then and then the third one, the third group is as you said, just woke people that like now it has become the trendy thing, the cool thing to do. That if you're a social justice activist in America, if you walk for BLM, if you fight for uh, uh, against Donald Trump, if you fight against this, against that, and against the whole system of America being an oppressive nation, you're going to fight for Palestinians. Like it, it's all part of the same pack. It's like you get a two plus one, three. It's the same thing there. You fight for uh -huh. BLM and against Trump. You also fight for the Palestinians. Right. There's one absolute truth and everything outside of it is a complete lie and completely Exactly. Evil. Okay. So as we're wrapping down, If I could give you guys, aside from the plane in the hotel, a million dollars to spend on a new program idea, just a crazy thing that you just can't imagine. But if I give you a million dollars, just give me an elevator pitch for a crazy idea. Jordana, you want to go first? Oh, Ellie, you're the big idea guy over here. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the big idea is, um, well, first, I don't know if you know, there's actually a program right now to uh, a bunch of Jewish donors uh, put their money together to give $10 million to an idea that will revolutionize uh, Jewish education or something like that. I saw that recently. So if anyone that is a judge for a program, please reach out to me. I have many, many ideas. Um, but Are you applying? Now Are you applying for $10 million? is the deadline i would love to apply uh, but for many reasons but whatever we won't get into Sorry that to now you. I'll, yeah. i'll try uh, to pitch my uh my idea is summer program of a lifetime a summer program that will take jewish students for, uh, to israel from around the world and finally connect the diaspora jews with israeli jews also so it will be a mix of mm -hmm. programs to connect the two get um, like get diaspora jews to explore Israel in a way they've never done before. Like, yeah, Masada is great. The Dead Sea is great. But there's so many, and there's so many beautiful and fun places in Israel that we never go to. So like taking them to different new places, but also finally get them to connect to Israel in a way like they've never done before while meeting people from around the world, meeting Jews from around the world, having a mix of educational programs, fun programs, conversations program with Israelis, Palestinians. And I think it would be beneficial for everyone. And like, There's so many different ways to do it. We were discussing a few days ago with uh, Jordana and Benji of maybe like doing some type of internship program. Like, there's so much available, but I think mm -hmm. summer, the summer is the best opportunity to make a real difference because you have students for two months from around the world that all at the same time are free to do something. So my pitch is the summer of a lifetime. 
So if any donor the upper thrive beyond 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 touring. Exactly. Because understanding each other. Israelis understanding diaspora, diaspora understanding what it is to be Israeli. That's and cool. And for diaspora Jews to really connect to Israel and yeah. really understand what it means to be Israeli. Yeah. And Jordana, that's yours also, or you want to add another one? Oh, maybe. I love that one. If we have any donors, very open to having a remote summer of a lifetime experience. But I think something very different, but also very powerful could be kind of like, I'm like this Islamic studies major. And like, we have a whole department at my school, like a beautiful building for like Islamic studies. I would love to found like a Zionist Institute at like some big university somewhere. Mm. I know like a lot of schools have Jewish studies, but I feel like Jewish studies is very different from Zionist studies. And I feel like that could be a very cool focus to like invest in and like research and like start seeing on campuses. So it's not just the toxic culture of the anti-Zionist, but have some like Zionist perspectives in there. Cause I know even just personally, like teachers who are Zionistic, it's so hard for them to openly support it. So I think this could be a really cool addition. Yeah, that was a, a few decades ago. There were all these multi-million dollar donations from uh, from the Middle East that built all these things on American campuses, and they're reaping the rewards now. And Jews just were not as... But I, I just, right, we have to end, but there is the Israel Studies chairs in a bunch of places, and um, yeah. I know Schusterman's involved with that. But um, it's different because it's, I think, Israel Studies is the academic really study of Israel. It's not... Uh, you know, kind of what you're talking about, Jordana, which is a whole different thing and a new podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, and actually, JNF now is uh, building a huge uh, Zionist education center in Beresheva, like a multi-million dollar project. But uh, yeah. All right, let's go. Well, in the meantime, I'm optimistic about the future. Uh, working for guys like you, who are, I think, I think, look, I. I I feel like we're one of those bubbles because we're all preaching to each other because we all agree we're all on the same page. But I wanted our listeners to, you know, Benji, Benji and I really wanted the listeners to get a sense of who you are and what you're doing and hopefully get involved in one way or the other as participants, as donors, as anything, because I think you're doing uh, really, really centrally important work to the Jewish future. So thank you for the work you do, but also thank you for being guests on the podcast. Go ahead, Ellie. You want to add? Yeah, yeah. I just want to add one more thing because I'm realizing now that we discussed a lot like anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, and I'm realizing that the title of the podcast will probably have to do something with colleges. So my guess is that some parents will be listening to the podcast. And I think something that is very important to mention is that while there are a lot of challenges, being a Jewish student on campus today is incredible. There are so many cool opportunities, so many cool programs. So I know... For a lot of parents and high school students, we're told anti-Semitism, BDS, BDS, LGP, but like, let's be honest, like, it's not, most of my time is not dedicated to that. Most of my time right. is actually dedicated to have fun, go to parties, meet Jews, like, go to Shabbat dinner. So, like, I think it's still very important to remind everyone that while there are a lot of challenges, being a Jewish student on campus is amazing. You have a future in politics, my friend, or the head of a Jewish organization. That was said so well, and you're only like 21. Incredible. Go ahead, Jordan. On the note of what Ellie just said, um, keep your eyes out for our social media because we are planning on doing an event with just that where we want to highlight the positive Jewish experiences on college campuses. So if you are in high school looking into colleges, please follow us on social media for our newest event updates. Well, you guys send me the links, and I'll put them in the podcast, whatever links you think you want people to hit or social media or whatever it is. 
so that people can follow uh, what's going on with Ramon, even just to know what's going on, but also if they can to contribute. So thank you so much, you guys. Thank you, Benji. Thank you. And we don't have to log off of Zoom, but I'm going to stop the recording because this is the end of the episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.